Good morning, great people, great church. How are you doing? It's good to see you, and especially those of you who lifted up your hands, and this is your first or second time here with us. So grateful that you are here. We hope today will be a meaningful time for you. Um, before I get into the Word, I want to let you know about something that is coming up. If you are a parent or you are with kids uh, on a regular, regular basis, this course might be for you on the 1st and 2nd of November. We're going to be having Connecting With Your Child. This course will help you with issues like attachment, trauma, um, uh, connection with your children, and a little bit of, you know, that mohueng mohueng discipline on your children. If you want to know how to create a culture where your child can be mature and can grow, uh, this course is for you. So please do uh, uh, grab a hold of that email address and send it through, and it will be great to see you there at Connecting With Your Child Grow course. Um, last week, Pastor Simon started off a series from the book of Ephesians. The series is entitled, The Pictures of the Church from the Book of Ephesians. And last week, he spoke about the church as a family and how uh, God has adopted us into his family and that how in response, we now begin to adopt others uh, into our lives to demonstrate the love of the Father to the world. This week, my task is to speak about the church as the temple. The church as the temple. Have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter together. While you're on the way there, let me give you some context as to what's happening in this moment. In Acts 21, a guy by the name of Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to go worship, and so he's going to Jerusalem, to, to the temple there to go worship. And after he's finished worshiping, he doesn't realize that the Jewish people are extremely angry at him. They're angry at him for two reasons. One is that they, they believe that uh, Paul is the guy who's been going around telling Jews that they don't need to be circumcised any longer in order to belong to Christ. Now, I've been circumcised before, not as a child. I felt everything. I was grown up, right? I wouldn't have been angry at Paul. I'd be like, thank you, relieve us from this agony. <laughs> but you know why the Jewish people were angry at Paul for saying that people no longer have to be circumcised in order to be close to Christ? Here's the simple reason. Their traditions had become their God. What traditions in your life? have become so important to you that you refuse for God to move them from your life. The second reason why they were angry with Paul is that they thought, they assumed, it wasn't true, but they thought because Paul had been hanging out with Gentiles, people who were non-Jews, because he had been hanging out with Gentiles, they thought that he brought a guy whose nickname was Trophy into the temple. He hadn't done it. And you know what they did in Acts 21, verses 27, all the way to 29? They took Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and a riot happened, and they began to beat Paul to a pulp because they assumed that he brought a Gentile into the temple. How many people in your life are you beating up because of your assumptions about them? They haven't even said anything to you. You just look them up and down and go, I kind of know what kind of person you are. 
And we begin to treat them differently because we've assumed something about them and we unknowingly drag them into the outer court and begin to judge them and beat them up because for whatever reason, we think we are better than them. So Paul gets beaten. He, while he's getting beaten, some Roman guards see what's happening and because they don't want a riot, they go down, they grab Paul out of the riot and, and they drag him out. While they're dragging him out, Paul begins to preach the gospel to these Roman guards. They take him from there and they put him in a Roman prison. And it's from that Roman prison, after he had been beaten by the Jews because of his love for the Gentiles, that it's in that Roman prison that Paul begins to write this letter to the church he started in Ephesus. And he's writing this letter because the church in Ephesus is filled with Jews and Gentiles. But in the corridors of the church, everybody hates each other. The Jews hate the Gentiles, and they consider them to be dogs, they consider them to be outcasts, and the Gentiles hate the Jews because they feel oppressed, they feel judged, they feel ostracized. And so Paul, in his book, of, uh, in the letter to the Ephesians, he's writing a letter to his racist church. How many pastors are willing to admit, hey, uh, my ch church is a mess. You guys are okay, you know what I mean? By and large. But Paul, he's writing it to this racist church. You can imagine Jews coming into the church and everybody sitting on one side, Gentiles sitting on the other side. And Paul now begins to write this text to them. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 22. And you, Gentiles were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, including the Jews, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the, that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus 
you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached shalom, peace to you who were far off, and shalom to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If we're talking about being the temple of God, there's three things we need to understand. We need to understand name tags, shoelaces, and Jesus. You get those three, you will understand what it means to be the temple of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your eternal, wonderful, powerful word. Lord, I pray today as we hear the word, you would speak to us individually, speak to us as a whole. And by the grace of God, I pray that we would respond and we would hear you in a way that changes our lives, moves our lives toward you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. In the first 10 verses of Ephesians, Paul, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is trying to break down some Theological understanding. He's, he's laying the groundwork so that the, the church in Ephesians can actually understand what it means to be the temple. And here's how he starts off his, his case. You were dead. You were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses, and he speaks about two things that made them dead. He says the first thing that actually made you dead is that you were follow, following the course or the path of the world. You, you, you have no idea that you're dead because actually what you're doing, you're waking up every day being led by the path that the world has laid out for you. Uh, last year was by far the hardest year of my marriage. Ten years of marriage last year, the hardest year. You know why it was hard? Because I had a great year seven, year eight, year nine with my wife, and we started going on cruiser mode. And when we came into year 10, we thought we were good. Until about June. She says it was March. I say June. Uh, until about June when we realize, oh, actually, we, we are more roommates. Than partners. We're more roommates than lovers. We're more roommates than husband and wife. Here's what Paul is saying. You, you think you're alive. Because every day you are waking up, going to work, paying the bills, you, being at home, raising your kids, but you are dead. Because the way you live is no different from anyone else in the world. The rhythms of your life are the rhythms of the world. You 
are dead. Second point is this. The second reason why he's saying that they're dead, he said, you, 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 you don't realize it, but you're living under the spirit of the prince of the air. Everything that, that your life is based on one opinion to the next, to the next, to the next, not realizing that you're not depending, not looking to the word to build your life, but you're looking to people's opinions which are filled with the spirit of the prince of the air, which is now functioning in the sons of disobedience, the reason you don't realize you're dead is that you're not looking to God for answers. You keep listening to people around you to define for you how to do marriage, to define for you how to do money. You're not listening to me. You're dead. So he says, all right, you Gentiles, you are a mess. But before the Jews in that church think that they're awesome, he says this, but we all, like the Gentiles, we all were dead. He says, for you Gentiles, you, you, you have been caught up in the passions of your flesh, carrying in you the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, you Jews were by nature children's of, children of God's anger. What's he doing? He, he's, he's bringing the whole church into one place and saying, you Jews, you think you're better? No, you're not. You Gentiles, you think you're worse? No, you're not. All of you are dead. And he says, but God. See, it will be one thing if it was, but God tried to help you. What he's saying is, but God, who is rich, abundant, overflowing with mercy, rocked up. And when he did, he made you alive in Christ. See, I, what I realize that most of the time, we are trying to fix people while God is just trying to make them alive. The reason why so many of my friends, your friends, don't come to church is that they know when they, when they walk through those doors, we're going to try and fix them. We're going to tell them that you can't come in here unless you look a particular way. That somehow you need to behave your way into the kingdom. You need to behave your way into his grace. That living on the other side of a beautiful sliding door that we paid money for, Uncle Tiam. <laughs> are people who feel that they can't get in because we're ready to fix them. Because God is ready to make them alive. He wants to make them alive because only when he makes them alive can he sanctify them. When he makes them alive to Christ, when he makes them alive in Christ, only then can he actually sanctify them and make them like Jesus. It's at that point. For whatever reason, we, we say to the racist person behind the wall, you can't come in until you fix yourself. We say to the black person, to the white person, to the woman, we say to the gay person, don't come in. Stay on the other side until you fix your life. Then the grace of God will, will, will apply to you. But God says, no, all of you are dead. All of you. And it's, and it's the richness. 
the richness of God's mercy that makes you alive. Recently, I was invited to a conference. I don't know if it was a conference, but it was, it was awesome. <laughs> Name tags. Name tags. I was invited to, to go to the Joburg Mining Endeavor. You might be asking, what on earth are you doing? I was praying. That's what I was doing at the Joburg Mining Endeavor. Uh, I was invited to go in there. And when I, just before I went there, it was early in the morning, I got some coffee, got some snacks to prep myself for the day. I'd never been to one. And when I got there, there were some ladies there in the uh, computer station, and I gave them my name. My name popped up. And they gave me a tag. Here it was. All of a sudden, when I put this tag on, I realized there's coffee everywhere, food everywhere, <laughs> fruit everywhere. I mean, there are waiters coming out of places that waiters should not be coming out of. They're just everywhere. Now, it's my first time. I've never been there. I don't know what's going on. And you know, when you're new to a place and you're an introvert, you hang around the food and the coffee. Just like, <laughs> right? And so that's what I'm doing. And then when they stop bringing out the food, people start, you know, circulating the waiter to get food. Now, I'm waiting for people to start taking out money to pay. I'm just catching my sign. I realized no one is paying. I said, praise Jesus. <laughs> praise the Lord. Okay, okay, okay. I see what's happening. By my fourth coffee, I knew God is good. This is where I'm supposed to be. Here's what I want you to get. I came in on someone else's favor. I came in on someone else's work. I didn't do anything to warrant me coming in. You see, the difference is that some other people who came in, came in there because they've worked hard enough to make it to the endeavor. And so their level of gratitude is different from mine because I was invited. And somehow, when they get to their fourth coffee, they believe that they deserve it. But at my fifth one, I'm still saying, Lord, thank you. You see, the person who got me in, they could have gone to somebody else who was there because of their works and said, hey, I need you to help with waitering. And that person would have said, that's not my job because I came in here by my works. But if that person had come to me and said, I need someone to help with waitering because I was invited, I would do it. It wouldn't be a demeaning thing for me because I got in because of someone else's work. I didn't deserve to be there. Someone's work made a way for me. What Paul is saying is this. Before we talk about the temple, you need to understand the beginning point of the temple is that Jesus has now become your name tag. You live your life with a tag that allows you to live on someone else's bill. When, 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 when that bill comes up, you don't need to pay because you're under someone's tab. It, it keeps running. It's unending. I paid when I didn't have the tab. But when I came in, I lived on someone's grace. I lived on the tab that I never paid for. But I was, because of the tag, they had paid in advance for me. Lived. You need to know 
that you have a tag on you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, there's a name tag, and I hope your name tag says Jesus on it. Says Jesus on it. Name tags. Second thing I want to talk to you about is shoelaces. Shoelaces. Paul, verse 11, all the way through to 18, begins to come to the crux of the matter. He starts off by saying, therefore, now that you know that you were dead, and it's not your works that made you alive, but it's Christ who made you alive, therefore, he says this, remember. If these two groups are going to get along, you need to start by remembering where you were so that you, you don't impose your culture on another. Remember where you were. Remember then. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, it's a bit of a sarcastic comment. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, the, the uncircumcised, you Gentiles were the uncircumcised, and you have been called this by the circumcised, which is the Jew. Hey, they, they gave you a little nickname and said, oh, these uncircumcised folks. They themselves were circumcised, and Paul says, not by the spirit, but by man's hands. What made them think that they were better was not what God did in them, but it's what they did to themselves. Remember that you, he started, remember that you were separated from God, that you were alienated from the commonwealth of, the, of Israel. Remember, remember, remember that you were strangers to the promises of God. You know what it feels like to live life without promises? Do you know what it feels like? Do you know what it feels like to live life with a promise? That when you lose a child, you are promised that you will see them in the hands of the Father. There's a different way that I mourn because I've seen a promise. But now, all right, but now in Christ Jesus, all right, it's going to get uncomfortable and then I'm going to talk about Jesus at the end and everyone's going to be happy. Okay, I need you to help me now. I need one person from this row here, if you don't mind just standing up there, I need someone, now imagine that all of these are separate entities, it might be whatever, black, white, India, whatever it is, or ideologies, they're all separate, we don't like each other, you don't like them, they don't like, we don't like each other, lady here, great, you're awesome, I need a white person from this, from this crew, who's not too far from the aisle, uh, I need a white person, you know, you're, you're, you're a bit too close. I need someone from the back there who's white. Well, sir, you're the only white guy I can see. In that hand. Do you mind? Do you mind? This is, if this is your first time, it's okay. You. That's my white guy. That's my white guy. I need, I need anything on this side. <laughs> but you must be in the middle. Somewhere in the middle there. Somewhere in the middle there, anyone can, can, can help me out? Judy, do you mind? Oh, that's right. I, I read somewhere right here in the middle. Judy, can you stand? Thank you. Judy, you stand. All right. So here's what Paul's saying. I'm going to break it down in terms of an analogy, and then we're all going to be happy, okay? Everyone who's standing up, can you slowly begin to make your way to me? Just begin to walk towards me here. Super slow. Super slow for you. <laughs> the, others, you the others can go in a bit faster. Okay. Come closer to me, right, right here. All right, stop where you are. Everyone, God is trying to make them alive. We're trying to fix them. 
this person who seemingly is closer to me, instead of looking at me at some point, decides they're going to look backwards. And when they look backwards and they see him, they go, you see, people like him will never get there. They're too far from God. And the only way you can get there, you need to come this way. You need to, you need to, you need to walk around or stay there. Say, the only way you can get to where I'm going, stay that there. The only way you can get to where I'm going, you need to come the same way I came in. Go through my side. Here, go through my side. Go look like me. Go sound like me. Go and act like me because people like me get grace. Karen walking a little bit. Karen walking a little bit. Karen walking a little bit. Stop there. All of a sudden, the closer they come, they, they've forgotten that we live in a world with an enemy who's throwing all kinds of ideologies at them. They're finding all reasons to keep them separated from each other. This one is going, hashtag I'm staying. That one is going, hashtag I'm going. This one's going, hashtag I'm hanging around. There's a whole bunch of things happening. But here's what I'm saying to you. I don't care whether you're going, staying, hanging around. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It doesn't matter. Come closer to me. Come closer. Come closer. You see now they're coming close. Karen coming to me a little bit faster now. You see, when, when she gets to me, she realizes, slower you two. When she gets to me, she, she realizes that she made it here by grace. And so all of a sudden, when she turns around, she begins to, to beckon everybody else to come. Because now she, she, yes, you can come. Now she realizes what got me here is not because I belong to this group. But God, when I taste the grace of Christ, I begin to realize, well, come, come together, come together. Man, you might never come back to this church, but come. <laughs> now, I want you to see something. The closer they got to me, the closer they got to each other. They weren't trying to get close to each other. Whoa. They weren't trying to get close to each other. They were trying to follow their shoestring. They were, they were coming close to me. Now, now, are you all right? <laughs> the further they are from me, the further they are from each other. And nothing out there is trying to make them closer to each other in a meaningful way. Everything else is either trying to conform them or, or make them uniform in some or other kind of way. Yeah, but the closer they get to me and they realize their freedom in Christ, when this person who judged that person from this group, when that person begins to come here, they realize, oh, God has made a way in every path. Every path. He's created a way that you might come in to the kingdom. And so when, when they're all together in Christ, there's nothing but praise. And they're trying to figure things out together, not by themselves, but from the vantage point of the shoestring that brings them together. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. <clears throat> so, you have to understand what happened in, 
in Ephesians. The Jewish people were deemed to supposedly be the ones near to God. Everyone else was deemed to be far from God. What inadvertently happened, the Jewish people started telling the Gentiles, you see, we are near because of circumcision. Therefore, be circumcised. And the Gentiles, some of them, started perceiving that the only way to get in was to get through Jewish culture. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Pause for one thing about that. The reality is, guys, most of what we call Christianity is masked in a Western idea. And so when we think of Christianity, sometimes we tend to go, I need to be more like those people in order to be. I need to, I need to change accordingly to fit a culture. Instead of coming to Christ, I need to come to a culture first, and that culture will bring me to. It's exactly the same thing that was happening here. Man, I can't wait for the day where we can sit down in different cultures Zulu people, Kosa people, and we go, all right, what are all the traditions we grew up knowing, and what does the gospel have to say about redeeming this and affirming that? You see, it is only when that happens that we don't try to be multicultural by sitting next to each other. Because I've always thought, man, the idea of being multicultural is that the shoestring is multicolored. It's permeating everywhere in different kinds of colors. But I realize, no, 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 the whole point of the shoestring is that it permeates one culture to the other. And the only thing that makes it all come together, holds it together, is the shoestring of Jesus. That he's actually not trying to make you less Afrikaner. But he's trying to make you more like Christ. But it's when you come with your made alive in Christness, with, with the reality of the redemption of Christ permeating through your culture, it's when you come with the redeemed reality of your culture that your culture should affect me. That, that's when you know we're doing this thing right. It, it's when my redeemed, Christ-centered culture that now has been grabbed a hold of because I've been made alive in Christ, when that begins to affect the way Greg does life. So what Paul's saying, this is what I want from you. And you can't, you can't understand the shoelace if you don't have the name tag. You can't appreciate the shoelace if you don't have the name tag. When you have the name tag, then all things will be reconciled in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the wall of hostility. In the Old Testament, the temple, in the Old Testament, the temple was anchored in a particular way. Right at the core of the temple was a holy of holiest of places. I'm talking about Jesus now. So this is going to be a nice part. Um, Right at the holiest of holies was the place for God. On the outside of the holies of holies 
was a sanctuary of the priests. And then on the outer courts, anyone was allowed to come. Anyone was allowed to come. Jews, Gentile, you could all come. We see this not only in 1 Kings 8, when, 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 when Solomon is praying that all the nations would come to the temple, but we also see it in Isaiah 56 verse 7, where when, when, when the Bible says this, these foreigners, these Gentiles, will bring to, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. But here's what happened. In the New Testament, with the new temple now made in the days of Herod, the priests decided that they were going to interpret the laws of purity differently. They said, Gentiles are like dead people. And if you hang around Gentiles, you become unclean. And so guess how now they made the temple in the New Testament? Jesus' time. At the center was the holiest of holies for God. On the outside of that was the center of the priest. And then on the outside of that was a court of Israel, which was only meant for Jewish men. And then those whom they thought to be slightly less clean was the next court, which was meant for Jewish women. And then who they, those who they thought to be depraved and dead were on the other side of a dividing wall, 10 feet high, thick as you can, you can even imagine. On the other side of that wall were now the Gentiles. That's how they built the temple now. And on the inscription, the inscription on the big, big wall, there were a number of them. And, and historians tell us this, archaeologists tell us this. They found inscriptions that, that, that would say this. If you as a Gentile enter through this point, you enter at the risk of your life. Jewish people were now allowed to kill Gentiles if they went through the wall. <laughs> Paul is crazy. He writes this while the wall is still erected and he says, hey, the wall has been broken in Christ. Go through. Go through. You don't, you don't need permission because in the body of Christ, in the sacrifice of the cross, Jesus has made a way for those who have been considered to be outside the wall. That wall of hostility that brought division between you and me can only and has only been broken by Jesus Christ. So he says, go through. Friends, here's what I want to tell you. At the end of it, what we need to know three simple things. The name tags that helps us know where we belong. The shoelaces that help us know how he intends to make all things come together and hold together in him. And Jesus Christ. Here's how he ends this text. Here, here's what he says. That we are saints and members and of the household of God built on the foundation of the, apostles and, of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is built. Here's what he's saying. If you build the temple on anything else outside Jesus Christ, it will not stand. Let me tell you, any ideology that is not based on Christ will eventually oppress somebody. Look throughout history, throughout history, whether it started good, but the moment it left Christ, it began to oppress someone. Whether you think you are progressive, well, 
communist, whatever it might be, there is only one foundation that is a cornerstone of all things that make the temple the temple. It is the Son, Jesus Christ, and on whom we build our lives. The structure of our lives is built on him. I love Corinthians when it speaks about we are all these precious stones that shouldn't actually make sense. But when the cornerstone is there, all these precious stones get put together and they make sense and they create the temple of God. It is the spirit of God who takes the grace from Christ and he makes us one humanity. Lord, Lord, sometimes we forget the price that you pray, paid. Lord, I, I thank you this morning as we remember how we are found in you and how in you we are made one. A oneness that is beyond conformity. A oneness that is beyond uniformity. A oneness that is beyond sitting next to each other but a oneness that is rich it's not understandable to those who've never experienced it a oneness that is sacrificial a oneness that changes us because we allow ourselves to be changed by a redeemed culture in another thank you Lord and Father we thank you that our lives can be built on you build this church on you, may you build our lives on you. I pray that this city, this nation would know what it's like to be anchored on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you know that you want to change the name tag in your life, that you've walked around with different name tags and today you realize, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to live under condemnation. I don't want to live in pride, but I want to live in the name tag, in the tab of Jesus. If you're saying, that is me, I want to make a decision today to follow Jesus. That's you. I want to pray for you. We want to help you. We want to help you know how to walk being alive in Christ. Anyone here, if that's you, do you mind shooting up your hand for a moment? so we can pray with you and help you. Anyone here saying, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anyone here? Father, thank you that we've all been made alive in you. And so we respond with an amen, with a praise God. And we thank you as we go that you will empower us by your spirit. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you.